welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. to establish is that I'm a very different kind of preacher than Pastor Caleb and even Pastor Kerry. I am the barefoot preacher. You've heard of the barefoot investor? I am the barefoot preacher. I dislike shoes intensely and I find when I'm worshipping him and I'm preaching, barefoot is the best. Beautiful. So a wise person once told me to preach what you know and to preach it with the authority that you gained from walking through it. So today I've chosen a very easy topic for me to talk about, one I know all too well. Today we're going to be learning about shame. Eli's kind of right, fear is in there as well, but mostly my message is on shame. We're going to be learning what it is, what it feels like, what it's not, and how do we get rid of it. God doesn't want us to live with shame, because shame drives us away from, from God, ultimately but it will drive away from our family and our friends, even our jobs. I know this is what God wants me to talk to you about today because the second I decided my topic came an immense wave of shame and condemnation, a voice that said to me, no, don't do it. You'll tell them all your secrets and they'll hate you. They'll wonder why Pastor Caleb lets you run the youth group. The kids won't love you when they know how bad you were when you were a kid. All of those things and more. Told me that I was going to say the wrong thing and upset everybody. And it whispered in my ear that no one wants to hear what you've got to say, Haley. It came with this enormous feeling of dread and this wanting to run away a million miles. I talk about <laughs> your love is running after me. I was running away from God in this sermon as fast and as hard as I could. I wanted to do anything else except write this one. I wanted to wash the dishes and watch some TV and do the washing and even scrubbing the toilet seemed like a good idea. When I was supposed to be typing this, I actually contemplated climbing on the roof and cleaning out the gutters because that was a very important job, you know, very important. I know I've got an important message to bring you and I know that I love you all very dearly and I hope that it's mutual. And I know my God... <laughs> thanks, thanks, Marie. I've got one. <laughs> I know that my God loves me and he keeps me safe even when I'm up here. So what was my issue? How could I have reverted back so quickly into saying and believing such horrible things about myself? And then it hit me and I realised the irony. What was I going to be preaching on? Of course I was feeling like that because that's what shame feels like. So fun times. Remember that bit where I told you about walking through and speaking with the authority of what you've been through? I'm just coming out of the other side of a four-week intensive crash course on shame. I've had to wrestle with all sorts of old behaviour patterns, addictions that I thought I was done with years ago. And can I just point out, the worst time ever to fall off the diet wagon is when Woolworths have all the Halloween chocolates on sale. Because I don't support Halloween at all, but I do support $2.50 bags of pineapple Freddo frogs. Way, way, way too much support for that. So delicious. <laughs> Most of you know that I lost my dad last year. So I've struggled with sadness and loneliness and I felt like I was living hope that it was ever going to get any better. It's been a hard couple of years. 
And I've been on the brink of burnout so many times, which led me to feel like I wasn't doing enough, being enough, trying enough. So you can't talk about shame without talking about vulnerability and being vulnerable. So this is me being vulnerable before all of you and asking you to be vulnerable with me. Perhaps don't stand up here and tell everybody your life secrets, man. I don't recommend it. It's a, it's a little intense. But at the very least, be honest and open and vulnerable with God. When you sit down with him and you have your little quiet times, just be real with him. And it is hard being up here and being vulnerable. It takes immense courage. And I don't know how Caleb does it every week. Puts a message out there and you never know if it's going to be well received. Are they going to love it? Are they going to hate it? Are they going to like you? Are they going to hate you? Are they going to think less of you? But we'd never do that here as a church, right? We'd never think less of anybody who put themselves out there. What if someone joined the worship team and they sung a bum note and played a bum note? Would we think less of them? Would we think that they shouldn't be there? What if someone joins a kitchen roster and makes your coffee wrong, forgets your sugar? Would you think that they were useless? That they were terrible? What if someone dances like a crazy lady when the worship music starts and does this weird thing with a hand when the Holy Spirit moves her? Would you think less of her? I'm her. It's me. Holy Spirit's got a massive sense of humour. That comes from Jerusalem. I was standing in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit smacked me so hard and my hand started doing this weird thing and it hasn't stopped since, man. I'm okay, I promise. It's, it's not medical. It's spiritual. And the dancing, we were standing in a Jewish kibbutz and the Holy Spirit just said, dance. Dance like no one's watching. And so I danced, unashamedly danced. And now my brain knows that I look like a dork, but my soul doesn't care because I'm dancing for my king. It's not just about standing on this spot here either. What if you hear someone telling you about their fears that they've had? What if you're like me and you've got that voice that follows you around telling you horrible things about yourself? What if that voice tells you, don't tell anyone about the doubts that you're having. Don't tell anyone what you're struggling with. Cover it. Hide it. Don't tell them about your past. Does the voice say, if my parents ever found out what I'd done, they'd be so mad at me. I'd be in so much trouble. Quick, blame my sister. Lie. Cover it up. Deny it. Does it tell you that if my friends ever found out my secret, if they found out the truth about me, they'd hate me and they'd never want to hang out with me again? I'm here to tell you that that voice is a voice of shame and it comes from the enemy. Don't get me wrong, it's normal to feel bad after we've done something wrong. That's guilt. It tells you, I did something bad and I need to fix it. It's different from shame. Shame tells you that you are bad, that you'll always be bad, that it's never going to get any better. And that comes from the enemy because it tells you that you do need to work harder, you do need to be better, you do need to be perfect. You do need to just keep pushing through. You certainly wouldn't want to come to church if you're feeling shamed because the enemy is going to be screaming at you that you're a fraud, that you're not good enough to be here. If you're feeling shame, the last thing you want to do is reach out to somebody and tell them that you're struggling, that you need help and that you need someone to pray with you. Shame will try and silence you. 
I've literally stood there and tried to sing a song. I had no words come out because I couldn't connect with the lyrics. I couldn't feel it. The shame that I was carrying was so great. The pressure was so intense. I'd lost my voice. We're not created to live in shame. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and Eve are cruising around the garden completely naked, completely shamelessly naked. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not quite ready for that level of shamelessness. But I know that there is no way that God created me to feel like this because that's what it was like in the Garden of Eden before sin came. Shamelessness, complete shamelessness. There was no shame. God doesn't want me to feel so wretched about myself and about my past and the dumb things that I've done and the dumb things I still do sometimes, let's be honest. There's no way that he wants me to be listening to that voice of shame. And there's no way he wants me to put that shame on someone else either. If you heard that someone expressing their doubts or having a crisis of faith, would we think less of them? If you heard someone tell you that they weren't doing so well, either physically or mentally or emotional, would you try and avoid them? Would you think that they were a bad Christian if they'd relapsed into an addiction? Gone back to a relationship that Jesus told them to walk away from? Been naughty and hidden it from their parents? What? Would you think that they didn't deserve to be here? Often if we're wrestling with hidden shame, we can become hypercritical of others and of ourselves. We expect that level of perfection in other people. It's another way of shaming people, expecting them to be perfect, because nobody's perfect. There's only one dude, and it's Jesus, man. Ain't none of us Jesus. As a parent, did you ever use that line on your kids? I'm not mad, just disappointed. That one stinks of shame. That is so much shame. And I can say that. If you've used that line as a parent, don't panic. I've done it, been there. But I don't know why I did because my dad used to use that one on me all the time and it crippled me as a child. If you want to crush your child in one easy move, bust that line out, I swear to God, it'll just make them cringe, man. Still works as an adult too. Only now as an adult, it's probably more likely to manifest in rage and I'll put the blame back on you and tell you it's your problem. Do you ever see the teacher at school that tells the whole class they've got to stay in until that child starts acting right? Do you think the shame stops there when the bell goes and they go out finally? I can tell you it does and it carries out to the playground and the rest of the kids start shaming the other kid in the playground. The shy one that never spoke in class that got sent to the staff room because she couldn't say her times tables out loud. The shame of standing there where all the teachers had their recess and lunch. They didn't realise I had no friends, so I was happy being there. But the shame of standing there because I was being disciplined was so great. It kept me silent for years. Do you know that you can shame someone with just a look or a sigh? Do you want to try it out? Look at the person next to you and just be like... Is that not the worst feeling ever? Could you imagine telling somebody 
your deepest, darkest secret. Hannah, I'm struggling, man. Today I'm feeling so nervous. And she goes to me, What would that do to your heart, man? Could you imagine summoning up all that courage to tell her that, dude, I'm not doing so well? And she gives me that look. Please don't look at me like that. I don't like it. I don't don't like it. You make the person feel like they're a problem, and I guarantee you they'll start acting like they're the problem. Nobody in the history of history ever did better by being made to feel worse. I can guarantee you that. When people, and especially kids, feel better, they do better. Even as adults, every time we see a model in a magazine with a perfect face and the perfect body, we can start to feel shame for not living up to that expectation. How about the celebrities who have a baby and a week later they're on the front cover of the magazine with how I lost my baby weight in five easy steps. And step number one, two, three, four is hire a cleaner, hire a nanny, hire a personal chef, hire a personal trainer. Step number five, liposuction. (laughs) Makes you feel rubbish about your own weight loss journey and trying to get there, doesn't it? Don't think for a second that the media hasn't been body shaming men and women for years. There are so many different ways of feeling and being shamed. Imagine being caught out doing something wrong and being dragged before a group and having your sins exposed before everybody. That's what happened in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people to gather around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Oh my goodness, the shame. Could you imagine? They said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing in the ground with his fingers. When they kept questioning him, he stood up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And he bent down. And began writing on the ground again. At this, those who heard began to go away. The oldest first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not about you, but that passage gets me every single time. The shame that poor woman must have felt standing in front of that crowd. Perhaps you're a little more team Pharisee and your thoughts are more like, well, if she didn't want to get caught, she shouldn't have stepped out on her husband. And I believe that Jesus would tell you the same thing today as he did back then. If you've never sinned, go ahead and chuck a rock at her. But don't think for a second that judgment isn't a sin too. On the worst day of her life, caught out and having her sin exposed before the whole crowd and her life threatened, Jesus stands beside her, silences her critics and does not shame her. And that is now how I know that Jesus 
doesn't want us to live under shame. Because Jesus, the person who matters most to me in the entire world, stands next to me on my worst day, knowing my worst sin. And he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't shame me. Instead, he calls me closer to him. He shows me grace and mercy and he sets me back on the path of righteousness. He forgives my sins. And I believe that's how he wants us to respond to others, without judgment, with love, with understanding, mercy and grace. In the same way Jesus forgave us, we need to forgive each other. Confessing what you've done wrong and saying sorry, it just isn't enough. True repentance comes in the act of walking away. When Jesus says to him, go and leave your life of sin, it's the act of walking away and not repeating that pattern of behavior, not repeating that sin. That's the true repentance. Now, as humans, I know we're flawed and we relapse, we, we fall back, we backslide, we say gossip, we swear, we do things that we shouldn't do. But look, it's that repentance, it's confessing to Jesus, this is what I've done wrong, I'm sorry, Lord. And the act of walking away and not doing it differently, not doing it again, that's a true act of repentance. But before we can get to that repentance, we have to go through that shame And before we can go through and deal with that shame, we have to go through that vulnerability of being open and saying that I'm not doing so well. There's a lady called Brene Brown who's got some wonderful teaching on shame. And she says that it needs three things to survive. It needs silence. It needs secrecy. And it needs judgment. So if we're not telling people what we're doing, if we're covering it up, if we're judging people when they do tell us that they've got something wrong, shame lives, it thrives, it builds momentum. But shame cannot withstand being spoken and it cannot stand being met with empathy and compassion and understanding. That crushes shame and that leads to true repentance. Why is it so important? Why does God want us to live unashamed? For one, it feels awful. It makes us withdraw from our friends, from our family, from our God, from our church family. And it puts it at more risk, puts us at more risk of being in the enemy's clutches. Shame lies to us about our identity tells us that we're bad, that we're flawed, that we're not good enough. Now, there's a tiny little bit of every truth at the enemy's accusations because that makes it so believable. We aren't good enough on our own. But with Jesus, we are. Imagine the progress that we would all make here together on our spiritual journey if we were able to admit to a trusted friend or even our pastors when we were having a hard time. Rather than trying to cover it up and put your game face on and get to church on Sunday and tick that box, what would it be like if we could admit that I've had a rough week? I'm having a hard time. Imagine being able to seek help here in the church and not feel shamed or judged. 
What if the first thing we did when we were tempted to behave in a way that isn't what God wants for us was to call a friend and tell them, dude, I'm so close to numbing out the pain in my heart. I feel so alone. Will you pray with me? Will you call forth my spirit and prophesy into the one that God created me to be? Will you speak to my identity and remind me who I am in Christ? Will you remind me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And will you come and sit with me until the pain goes away? We pray and sing all the time for revival. But before that revival comes the repentance and the shame being broken off and the vulnerability. So if we want to see that revival that we speak about in our city, if we want to see people turning their hearts toward Jesus, if we want to see souls saved, the repentance comes first and that starts with us. But we won't get to the true repentance if we haven't dealt with our shame, if we haven't dealt with the problem that we have, with admitting that we've stuffed up. We won't get there if we're not vulnerable with each other. So I want to be part of a church that is an open and atmosphere that we can be a safe place. There you go, youth group. This is a safe place. You can share your feelings. That's my favorite line at the youth group in case you didn't get that one. This is a safe place. Share your feelings. Be open. Be honest. Tell us about the things that you're struggling with and do it knowing that you won't be shamed for having a hard time. If school sucks, dude, come and tell me that school sucks. I will not judge you. If your parents are being tough, I will say, the Bible says respect your parents, but I understand. If your kids are being tough, come at me, bro, because I will tell you, oh, my gosh, have you seen my teenagers? I love them dearly. They're six foot. Big kids. Could you imagine how much this place would just be on fire for Jesus if that was our heart? Could you imagine it? That's what I want. And I don't want you to walk away from healing like I've shamed you. I don't want you to walk away from me feeling like, oh, Miss Haley's on a high horse again. I want you to walk away thinking, could you just imagine what it would be like if our marriage was in trouble and we could seek help? If we were suffering from an eating disorder and we could get help? If we were struggling with depression or anxiety, with addiction, with anything, and there wouldn't be any shame? That's the world that I want to live in. I want to live in the world where Jesus is the example and we follow his example. So here's my list of things that there are no shame in. There's no shame in admitting that we did something wrong. There's no shame in admitting that we're not doing so well physically, mentally, or emotional. The last two years have been tough, dudes. It's been tough. We've had poor Elaine can't even hug people, and they're going to get tougher. That's hard, man. If you're a hugger, that's hard. Kathy's a hugger. She's felt the struggle. She knows the pain. COVID Marsh is going to get tough on you next week when they open the borders. Don't you worry about that. People who've been separated from family. Nori hasn't been able to go home and see her family. Fred? Same deal. Families overseas haven't seen them. It's been a hard couple of years. There is no shame in admitting that you're struggling. There's no shame in admitting that you're facing temptation. Pick your poison, doesn't matter what it is. Too much TV, too much Netflix, too much Freddo Frogs, pineapple deliciousness. 
There are so many temptations out there. There's no shame in admitting that we've had our doubts. Is God really a good God? How can it be a good God with all this going on in the world? Please, if you're feeling like that, come and speak to your pastors. Yeah. There's no shame admitting that we're worried or afraid or anxious. We can break that spirit of fear off you in Jesus' mighty name in like three seconds and then you'll be walking out here free and you won't even know what's hit you. That's right, we've got to get the snap happening. Jesus' mighty name. Sorry, I forget. I have to take my youth group hat on back on. And dudes, there's no shame in asking for help. No shame in asking for help. Do you want to be a part of the world, man, where we, like, fess up when we've done something wrong? Where we be vulnerable with each other and admit when we've had a hard week? When we draw closer to each other and bond over shared experiences? Why do you want to carry this shame any longer? Dude, it's heavy. It's hard. It's, it's icky. It doesn't smell good. Reminds me of a um, Joyce Meyer talk she was giving and she was talking about the pharaoh in Egypt with all the plagues that came along and the, the plague of the frogs. And he said, can you get rid of them? And he said, yeah, I can. When do you want to get rid of them? In the morning. And she couldn't understand how much longer, why would you want to stay with the frogs all night and get free from the frogs in the morning <laughs> when you could just pray and make the frogs go away now? So today we're going to go back into some ministry time. I'm going to invite Eli and the team to come up. It's a tough topic, dudes. I'm not your regular preacher. Caleb's all PC and beautiful and we love him. Haley's a little bit more hard-hitting and unconventional. That's what happens when you're the barefoot preacher. But there is no shame in asking for help. So as Eli and the team come up, I'm going to make myself available at the front if anybody wants to come and pray with me. I would love to have you come and pray with me. We're going to turn the lights down low and just keep the music going for some time. If you see someone up here that's praying, need prayer, just you don't even need to know what's going on. I don't need to know what's going on. You just give me a word, give me nothing. I don't care. We'll just pray. Just stretch out a hand and pray with us. You don't need to know. You can pray with blessings and favour and peace and comfort and all the good things that come from God without even knowing what's going on. When you do leave, though, I just ask you to leave carefully with your soft feet and have yourself a tea and coffee in the kitchen. But just be respectful of the ministry that's going on in here and we'll keep the volume down. Beautiful. Please as well too, you've got my phone number, you've got the church Facebook. If you have any questions, anything, you want some prayer throughout the week, something's cropped up, please reach out. Yeah? We're in this together. We're a family. It's Bethel Family Church. It's in our name. The family leaves no one behind. Nobody falls back. Nobody backslides. Nobody gets left behind. Nobody does it tough. Nobody does it on their own. That's the kind of church that we want to build here at Bethel. Bethel Family Church on Facebook.